All her life, Olivia Pryor has wondered who she really is and where she belongs. Her only clue is a slim, battered journal, her mother's journal full of entries that seem to show that she was unraveling and drawings that look like blots of ink. Until Olivia noticed a hand, a door, a bloom, a skull. The letter beckons Olivia home to Gallant, the one place her mother's journal warns her to never go. Welcome to the first five chapters. I am Luke Kerr, a writer and a podcaster who's forging these two passions into this novel, Book Review Podcast. Join me as I adventure into the realms and imaginations of today's authors. You never know who we'll meet or what we'll learn along the way. And when we're done, it's up to you whether or not to read beyond the first five chapters. Joining me today is one of my first friends that I made after moving to Phoenix. Brian, welcome to the First Five Chapters podcast. Hey, I'm happy to be here. When we first met, we sort of bonded over things like Gossip Girl, the TV series, and we both discovered that we had a love for your um, young adult books, and we had a lot of commonalities with comics and those type of things. And one of the books that I shared with you and recommended reading was by the author we're discussing today. It was part of her series, um... V.E. Schwab, she had the Shades of Magic series, A Darker Shade of Magic. Yes. And so she has a new book out. It's called Gallant. And so that's what we're going to be discussing today. And when I saw that she had a new one, my first thought was, he loved the Darker Shade of Magic books. So I want to see what he thinks of this next one. But before we dive into it, tell me a little bit about you as a reader do you and prefer kindle do you like going to the bookstore what uh, types of books other than ya or if you enjoy ya what subgenres of ya do you enjoy oh so i am an eclectic little bit of a mess when it comes to my book enjoyment so i was old school in that i needed i wanted to read physical books um but i have embraced the kindle app greatly over the last few years okay and i have kindle unlimited so i i pay a monthly subscription to just read a ridiculous amount of books but my book journey before ya it really started with authors like robin cook who did medical thrillers okay um, and then let's see john grisham was another one one of my favorites tom clancy was always a good favorite of mine back when i first Back in, you know, middle school, high school, um, Dan Brown, uh, before The Da Vinci Code, one of my favorites of his was Digital Fortress. But YA, give me anything supernatural, and I'm loving it. So witches, vampires, anything of that sort, and I'm always going to enjoy reading it. So that's kind of where I am right now. And then also just... Gay romance is also a kind of big thing for me in the, in that. So I'm also reading a lot of books in that whole genre space as well. There's some there's some good ones. And the thing is, is there is a quite a variety in there. It ranges from contemporary to fantasy and you can get everything in between. Yes, there <laughs> there is a fantasy genre of uh, <laughs> gay romance that is quite interesting. And I will just leave it there. So when you're looking at a book, since you've transitioned to Kindle, 
do you do like the Kindle preview of the first three chapters? On the last episode with Casey, I was talking about with her about I still love going into a bookstore and reading the the flap mm-hmm. and getting the tease and then taking a look at the first chapter and like just reading it while I'm standing in a in an aisle and enjoying it that way. How has that transitioned for you now that you do most of your reading on Kindle? So with the Kindle app, I kind of just I while the you can download a sample and while I should probably take advantage of that, I really just try to read the description of the book itself, the general description. So kind of like how you would see on the flap of the book, you know, Mm -hmm. I kind of just try to read that. And if it interests me, I'll take a look. And because I, it's because of the unlimited subscription, I try to stick with anything that falls under that. Mm -hmm. So by downloading the book, I'm not paying anything extra. Right. So if I don't like it, I'll just, you know, return the book to, you know, from my library, but you know, yeah. So that's where I am. But I will say the oldest joys was going into like Barnes and Noble or even Borders back in the day. Yep. And just going into the clearance section of of the bookstore. Before, you know, this was before I was making any kind of decent money. Uh-huh. So, you know, clearance books for $5.99 were always what I was hunting for. And so I would just I would just sit there and read the jackets and just try to find something that caught my eye. Well, let's talk a little bit about Gallant. Before we dive into the first chapter, are you a prologue person? Do you enjoy prologues? Do you dislike prologues? It's sort of like people who write. um, Some people are pantsers. Some people are plotters. Some people love prologues. Some people don't. What is that for you? You know, I have to say I enjoy them quite a bit. Do you? I do. Because I feel like... If I if I was on the fence about the description of the book, mm-hmm. a good prologue can get grab my interest right then and there that makes me want to try to dive into it a little bit more. See, I'm pretty much the exact opposite because a lot of times authors are putting backstory in there that may or may not have anything to do with the majority of the book. And if it doesn't have anything to do with the majority of the book and it makes me confused as I'm reading, then I do not appreciate them. But one of the things that I've noticed is that in YA, at least of these first ones that I'm reading, they don't necessarily have prologues as in a titled prologue. They'll have just a single page with something that a scene described Mm -hmm. and it's not called a prologue, but they have it there. And so whether or not you read it, can contribute to it. And what I thought was interesting about Gallant after my last episode on lore, where I was like, I don't like prologues. I'm not a big fan of them. There was an actual sort of prologue in this book. And it actually added for me to the tension of Gallant as I began to enter this world by V.E. Schwab. Did you read that? I did. And And what did you think? I find it interesting that confusion for you is kind of a, I don't want to say deal breaker, but it it might dissuade you in a way. But for me, when I read this prologue, I was confused. And it was confusion in a good way because it makes me want to try to figure out the source of that confusion. So this prologue or one page prologue if you want to call it, it that. whatever it's called whatever they're, they're sneaking this in under i would call it a prologue but whatever they're calling it officially now yeah i was very much reading it and i said 
I don't know what any of this means or what the purpose of this is, but it kind of, it did hook me in a way that I that I wanted to start reading the first few chapters. So I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but based on the cover photo, the cover art, and the description of that, and then the fact that we recently have had trailers for Stranger Things, from the cover and then that description, I'm like, is is this Gallant's version of the Upside Down? where everything is sort of opposite or like dead. And so like in my mind, that's what I'm thinking as I'm reading that. But you want to talk about something quirky just briefly about deal breakers. The thing that I struggle most with is reading books in first person. I always struggle with that. I need to have a third person or an omniscient story. And there have been some exceptions. There's definitely been some exceptions but I never sink into a book that's first person the way I do into a third person. And for me as a writer, it's it, the thought of writing for first person sort of terrifies me because I'm like, when I write scenes, I do everything visually and it's sort of cinematic in my head. And so the thought of I'm looking at the big scene and then I'm drilling down to the individual characters and what I'm having them do. But to try and actually write that and and keep saying I did this or what or the like the vernacular mm-hmm. that is difficult for me. So it all that translates into reading too. So it's not it's close to a deal breaker sometimes, but there have been exceptions that I've thoroughly enjoyed. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about Gallant. It opens up with rain drums, its fingers on the garden shed. As a first line for me. This wasn't something that hooked me, but it definitely set the mood. And as we go deeper into chapter one, there's definitely an element of moodiness, grayness, Mm -hmm. and it definitely set the mood. But if I was looking at this on a shelf, that would not, for me, have been something that made me want to or would have hooked me. What about you? Uh, Yeah, if I probably were just picking this up randomly that in and of itself would probably not have said. "Mm." And interestingly, when we first brought this up, I went into this cold. Uh I didn't even read the description of what this book was even about. So I was, when I read this at first, I was like gray, dark, but again, there was still something overall that still caught that still caught my eye. And while I've never watched Stranger Things or mm-hmm. anything, but I, I wondered the what maybe this isn't the right the juxtaposition. There was something in there along the lines of how this other garden that this person was seeing was luscious and great. And so I it immediately made me think, or is this like a I don't know. In like Superman, you have Bizarro where where everything's just opposite right. flipped on its head. So I kind of had that same thought without any of the context of any Stranger Things or anything of that nature. But I it did when I read it, I said, okay, so we have this other world that this person's peering into or can see. I just thought the whole the mouse and then the whole killing of that's kind of what so i was like oh this is kind of dark and right right so i was like i kind of have to see where this goes 
on the first page, we uh, are introduced to our main character, Olivia Pryor. Uh, we find out that she is at Maryland's, which is the Maryland School for Independent Girls. In the first two pages, um, we sort of get a day in the life of for her uh, with her having chores, maybe someone who she's having a rivalry with. We get to page three and we sort of begin to get an insight into her loneliness, into her when she picks up her mom's journal and in it, it says home is a choice. And then we also find out that she thinks that everything that her mother reads is a riddle. What did you think of how the first few of the first three to five pages played out for you? Was it something that was like, Hmm, built enough um, of a hook for me to keep reading? Or was it something where you're like, I'm not sure. I wasn't sure. Okay. Confusion still rang for me in this instance, but where confusion, I like to hook me and draw me in. If the confusion continues to remain as I continue to read, I start to lose interest. I need some clarity to start coming into focus a little bit. Okay. So for me, what continues to hook me at some point has to be either the plot Uh or I have to connect to a main character and I have to connect to a character. So what did you connect with in this other than the fact that you had to read five chapters for a podcast? <laughs> I actually connected with the character of Olivia. Okay. The What I really appreciated within the first few pages and even in these first few chapters was getting an insight into Olivia's psyche a little bit mm-hmm. and understanding that loneliness that she feels and while you know but for me sometimes just as an individual i have those periods i I think it's very relatable while the circumstances of her loneliness you know and her situation is completely different than mine you know but i feel like that's still relatable and you you find i found myself kind of just rooting for her also something that maybe well, it was in maybe i can't remember which chapter in the early but the pettiness of her she's very petty and that and we're about to get to that because we find out that on page five the quote is one night she will break into the matron's room and take whatever she can and be gone what's interesting about that is it sets up what she does at the very end of the chapter and it's good foreshadowing i thought it was like when i got to what she does at the end of the chapter i was like oh that was a nice little bit of foreshadowing it's not what she said she was going to do but she did a variation of it Mm -hmm. i thought that was really good i think the first thing for me in the first six pages was the fact that we find out that she's mute and she has to sign that for me was the hook because We'd had all this moodiness. We'd had this rivalry between her and this other girl. We'd had uh, descriptions of her relationship with the matrons. And all of that sort of felt like something you might just see in a normal movie about the industrial age in England. Mm-hmm. But then they gave me this little twist and I about her as a person. And that's what hooked me to it what did you think of that revelation i didn't it was interesting because i didn't think too much of it at first Mm -hmm. as i read it and i processed 
that she was because at first I was like, oh, she's when I thought signing, my immediate thought was, oh, she's deaf. But then as I the next line was, oh, she can hear what she's saying. So I said, oh, she's mute. And then I just moved on from it. Okay. And I, in a way, almost a pr- it, I appreciated how straightforward, straightforward, and it 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 didn't come across as a big revelation. Right. So for me, I didn't treat it as such as the reader. I was just like, she's mute, and kept it moving, and that was just so. I don't it that wasn't something that hooked me, but I I just it was so casually discussed, and it wasn't this big thing like some tragic, and maybe there is something further in the book that kind of might i have my own thoughts around Uh this but as to why she might i don't know if this is i don't know but i just appreciated how it was just this is it and you just move on from it one of the things that i found interesting about the first chapter and how the um chapter ends is this theme of ghosts and ghouls you have the the prologue which uh, hints at something early on we find out when she's at this shed that there's a ghost or ghoul in the shed, but then she clarifies it as being a ghoul. And that's at the very beginning of the chapter. Then we get to the end of the chapter and it wraps up with the revelation that she's being called the ghost of Marilyn's. Mm-hmm. And her description as a character is that when she sees herself in the mirror, she has charcoal hair, sallow cheeks and that are pale and colorless. And so you're getting these visuals of this very I'm uh, translucent almost character in a, some way. I almost liken it I my immediate first thought when she described that whole charcoal grit was like the little girl in the ring. The right. Mo- the, just the right. one that comes out the right. TV. Right, right, Just a movie I will never watch. <laughs> but that's the image that I got of her was just that little girl coming out of the tv just hair just stringy charcoal gray just no color to her whatsoever i'm horror like ghost stuff is prob this is probably the first book where i've actually read this type of thing so i'm intrigued enough that i want to continue to go on because i'm the whole ghoul i'm wondering how this plays out throughout the rest of the book we find out in, at the near the end of chapter one that she sneaks into the matron's room. She steals sweets from a, a catch, um, shall we say, by the matron's bed. And chapter two opens with her having a picnic of stolen sweets on her bed. But she keeps her, uh, her back to the wall because there's another ghoul, a different one, watching her across the room. This one is a little bit different in description that... Schwab's just um how she describes it is done really well it makes me I can visualize it even though we're having something that is a ghoul which can take pretty much any form you want I can visualize that for me what did you think of how this chapter began to play out because for me after having just done all of my notes for the lore episode where it's very like fighting in your face this is a quieter but creepy creepier story almost Mm -hmm. for me and so i'm there but i'm still a little nervous i'm not like a hundred percent bought into the story but there's enough to there's just enough to keep me going 
as we transition into more, I think this sets, I think the second chapter for me, it almost feels like a little bit of a slow burn. Okay. And I think, I think that might be the progression of the book overall. I think it's going to be a slow burn, Mm -hmm. but I thought that this was a good, um, still balancing, trying to give me a little bit more of Olivia. Mm Mm-hmm but introducing some other elements of the story like the mom's journal right and things so it, it's giving me a little bit more plot to try to understand what's happening and, and again for me i went into this cold not knowing exactly what the whole some store purpose of the book was so it was kind of good where i was like okay i'm starting to see maybe there's a little bit more here but i i really did appreciate the balancing act that i think uh the author really did here and just still developing the, this character a little bit making me because again for me i love to want to root for a character mm-hmm. if i love the character i'll probably power through the book no matter what just to see what happens so okay i find myself in this moment still feeling like okay olivia i want to root for you so i want to see where this is going okay um you mentioned the journal that is uh definitely an element that continues to grow we find out that she's memorized everything within the journal we find out that she also sketches and is an artist but for me because i see things visually what stood out for me between chapter one and chapter two is these mentions of yellow and sun amongst all of the gray so the candies we have like orange peels which are orange of the sun. We have the dandelion. I'm assuming it's a dandelion in the first chapter. Mm -hmm. So much about her life is bleak, but we're getting an occasional brilliance. And it's in those moments where you see that there's still hope in the character. And I feel like the author did a really good job in not overdoing it. They're keeping it gray, but they're still giving us hope. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, I would agree. Um, I think, and I think for me, I noted probably a little bit in some of the later, like chapter four is where I start, where hope was a word that just, I immediately kept popping in into my head. I was like, oh my God, we finally have a little bit of hope here. It doesn't seem so bleak, but the way the author does occasionally throw in some color mm-hmm. into it, just to, just to take her mind off the gray, just a little bit where it doesn't seem so dark. There is a nice little, I I will appreciate that. Chapter two, we also get the first quote unquote action scene in that physical action took place. Um, We have a recap or a flashback to a previous fight with one of her rivals in the school. And now the person is sort of scared of her. I thought that that was the way the flashback went. It didn't feel overwhelming, but it felt where it needed to be as opposed to a chapter where or a book where you just start off with action and you immediately have a fight. I thought that, okay, the slow burn that you mentioned earlier, this is what's happening. So I liked that. The other thing is that you mentioned the journal. Well, we also find out at the cliff at the as the cliffhanger for chapter two that the final message in the journal is to Olivia, where everything else in the journal has been written to her father. Mm -hmm. And so she's clung to, or she clings to that message and trying to understand it. What did you think of how the cliffhanger for chapter two ended for you? 
it was another one of those moments where it's I'm like, hmm, interesting. Because now this is again, it's we're still early in this, and it's a way to hook it's a, it's this is a good way of trying to keep the confusion there for me where I want to try to figure this out. Okay. So I will say this was a good way to end the chapter of you kind of set this up a little bit more with this journal. Mm-hmm. You get me wondering about it. And then it's kind of like, damn, okay, stay away from Galler, Gallon, Galad, however you want to pronounce uh, yep. it. And then it's like, okay, why? So my immediate thought is to why. So now I want to keep on going a little bit. So again, I appreciate these little stops at the end of each ch- this these chapters so far where it's like you're giving me enough to still be intrigued but you're not you're not causing too much confusion for me the theme of chapter three for me is olivia's outlook on life because she is digesting um what the other girls talk about um the other girls talk of love but she didn't say see the point it didn't save her father from illness and death it didn't save her mother from madness and loss when girls say love they really mean want that passage was fantastic i one of my immediate notes was just that passage around want yes if you want to get a kick in the gut yes that will do it to you like i was struck i was i was just and again it's in one in that moment where i can relate to this character so much in Mm -hmm. a way and just you feel this bit of abandonment for like she feels this just abandoned out in the world and might want things so bad but even wanting it is not enough sometimes it was yeah that passage was just phenomenal and that theme continues throughout chapter three when um, there's the talk of love, um, or, or I'm sorry, the talk of dreams. It goes, first love, now the talk of dreams. The girls talk of dreams as real things. Her mother spoke of dreams as crueler things filled with dead lovers, clawing shadows, and sharp enough to warn her daughter. When you're talking about love and dreams, You are dealing with some very hefty topics in chapter three of a young adult novel about a girl who's an orphan. I was very impressed, and I thought that it, without necessarily making the character internalize it, it provided the punch that I needed to internalize it for her. Mm -hmm. That's how it worked for me. How did you feel as this continued to build? Um... I don't know if I would say I thought of it in that sense, and it might be that might be more the reader, I mean the writer part of you to say. Okay. So for me, it was just this continual bleakness or this darkness about her life situation. And I think it was it in this chapter as well where she talks about she doesn't have dreams. Yes. And that was something that was just I don't know, like, but it's like clarifying Uh, it was clear but or also um if that plays a part into some broader overall like mystery about her background but i just found it fascinating and also horrifying in a way that you don't dream that you don't write dreams that in your dreams sometimes yeah dreams can be some crazy dark but even in when you're when you're not consciously awake, 
you're so dark and you're just in such a dark, it's darkness. Well, is it possible that the journal is so dark that because she's memorized it and basically incorporated it into who she is, that that is what prevents her from dreaming? Don't know. Chapter three, um, the lead up to the cliffhanger on chapter three is that she's called into the matron's office and is told that a letter has come from her uncle, Arthur Pryor. And it says that she's wanted and asking her to come home to Gallant. And then she's told to go pack her bags. So we are moving at a very fast pace. Like we are like when this started out in chapter one, I was like, what is this rivalry that is going to be established with? I think it was Clara was her name. Yeah. Was it? Annabelle? Or? Well, Clara was the first one in the in the kitchen, and then the other one was the I don't remember her name, but she was the one that she like strangled and that kind of stuff. Yes. So like I, in my mind, I was sitting there thinking, what are these rivalries in this school for girls that are going to be built? And then by the end of chapter three, forget all of those, we are off. Right. She the author just said, uh, no, we're done with this. <laughs> but what I will say, what struck me was, and you kind of you are wanted, you are needed. Yes. Um, you belong with us. And in those lines, I smiled. Well, I, I I wrote down my I was like, I smiled. I was like, oh, but then yay, what hope hope begins and then i'm like wait a minute she can't go to gallant her mom has told her not to go to right, gallant right. which is where the uh, chapter four picks up because the tension is reinforced when you have uh, when you have her mom in the journal saying you will be safe as long as you stay away versus what's in the letter which is we cannot wait to welcome you and then we uh, reinforce that again with home versus home is a choice which for me as a gay man found family is a theme and i'm like i was not expecting to have this subtext in a book about a girl from a who's an orphan but i mean it totally makes sense but I, it caught me by surprise this that was probably the biggest surprise for me was the found family subtext mm-hmm. which it makes sense i don't know why i was surprised but as a reader i was surprised what did you think of how chapter Four picked up the conflict that she's experiencing between you're, you'll be safe as long as you stay away versus we cannot wait to have you. You know, I, I, what I wrote here was, and I think this is where I maybe glossed over a little bit of that tension. Okay. Because I was so focused on, oh my gosh, she's going to like meet some family. So and you were totally with her. You I were was, to- yes. Boy, you got disappointed in chapter five then. <laughs> yes. I was all about the hope, the journey. And if you noticed how the writing progressed it started talking about the luscious hills and just right. the color scheme of like, I thought the author, we got out of this gray. Right. And so reading all of that and building up to that, I wasn't even like, while there were, you know, the Olivia, the character is like having that internal dialogue, but I am like, wait a minute, like who cares that, you know, I know that's eventually going to play into, you know, the tension here, but I am just happy she got out of that whole bleakness. And it's like, again, you get that letter, you read that letter and she's holding on to that letter in a way. And it's like, oh, she's going to get what she, she's, she's finally going to have at least some family. And that's what I held on. Like I let the hope get to me. So 
that didn't happen for me because a part that came up was the foreshadowing, more foreshadowing. And I actually, this was a part that actually confused me, um, where I probably had the most confusion in the book. When they're talking about shapes inside of shadows, not accidents, but drawings, that's in the journal, if I'm understanding it correctly. I was a little bit confused about where that came from. And my second thought was, okay, if these shapes are inside of side of shadows, not accidents, but drawings, which is a fantastic line, you mean to tell me that Olivia, who has memorized this entire journal, has not noticed that until this moment? That seems odd to me for a girl who has been so obsessed with the journal. So I was confused by... Is this in the journal? Is it somewhere else that she's like seeing this? Is this in the letter? And for me that I got confused on that. And I had to go back and reread it a couple times and just try and digest it. What did you have anything like that? No. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. It, when it says that the their drawings, the images included a hand, a hall, man with shadows twisting at his feet, flowers a skull, and an open door. If that doesn't tie into the whatever we're calling the prologue on this book, I don't know what does. Right. What did you think of those descriptions? You've already mentioned the fact that the scenery outside the car that she's riding in is changing. What did you think of her arrival at Gallant? Man, this is where it started to unravel for me because I was like, she just arrived. Why is it dark again? What's the, there was like some woman, the one she kept talking about or the woman. And then, and I'm like, what is, why is this dark? Why are we, it, it started to really just pull at me of, oh, we're not like, this isn't going to, ha- this isn't going to happen. You lost all hope. I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't lose, I didn't lose all hope until the very end of the chapter when she knocks on the door. Okay. Great visuals, but uh, yeah. The woman who answered did not recognize her. Olivia produces the letter. And that takes us into chapter five, where um, we are officially introduced to Hannah, um, the woman who answered the door. There is Edgar. He is involved in the house. I'm assuming a groundskeeper of some sort. I don't know if they mentioned what his role was. I don't remember what it was. But he signs, which is sort of like the hope that I got from this chapter was that maybe Olivia has an ally before we go into that. Okay. That little one pager before the chapter where we talk about the where it's like the master of the house isn't alone. And there's like the shadows or something like the three shadows. Yep. Um, again, oddly placed and I'm not entirely sure is that because we we in chapter five we do get introduced to ultimately the um nephew yep and so when i got introduced to that i wasn't sure was he the master of the house that this page was referencing so for the listeners because this is a visual this is not a visual medium i am holding up the book for brian to look at what is the difference between these two? Dark and like one page is com- the page. One is completely black, black with white text. One is white with, with black. black text. And then you take a look at the cover. 
and the cover has a house that is upright and a house that is upside down. Which is funny because if I'm on my Kindle app, uh huh, I get none of I get no I get none of this little context that you would get from the actual hard like they don't have they don't have this as the cover of the book in on the Kindle app. Let me go to my cover. Now here's what's so my there's drawings in right, mine, but, but that's inside the book. That's not the cover. There should still be a oh, cover. The cover, yeah. I just didn't read. I I when I opened it, I didn't, okay. I didn't see the cover. So that's my fault, <laughs> listeners. But whoever designed this book aesthetically put some thought into what they're doing. I perceive this, and I could be wrong. We're only talking about the five chapters. I perceive this to be. Anytime we're dealing with the, whatever the upside down equivalent is or the w- the upside down house to be the black. Hmm. And I think that there is an element between, and this is a theory, once again, only talking about the first five chapters, but in as I'm creating these theories, we know that the father has died. We know that the mother has disappeared, but we don't actually know if she's alive. In that page, they talk about the fact that there's three uh, remaining, but there could have been four. Mm -hmm. So who is the fourth one? And is it someone who's already dead? Is it the father? Is it the mother? Is it possible that the fourth one was the mother, but, and maybe she goes between the two realms, if that's what we're looking at. And so she escaped it, which is why there used to be a fourth in my mind, these are the questions that I'm asking myself as I'm reading that is, who is that fourth person? And if we take a look at Olivia's life, there are opportunities. But then we're in chapter five. We meet the cousin who's a little bit of an asshole. And we find out that Matthew, the cousin who's alive, thought that he was the last prior because Thomas is dead. So, is it the father, is it the mother, or is it this Thomas that could be the fourth person? Those are what I was asking myself as I was reading chapter five and being like, where is this going? Are we looking at a situation in which Matthew is the heir who knows about the curse and he's basically living with the curse the same way in Beauty and the Beast? He's cursed. He's living by himself. He has these people who are helping him. Is that what's going on with Matthew? And the reason why he wants her to go away is because he thought that he was the only person left to bear this curse. Or is it something else where there was a power element? The description of Matthew is that he's a boy, but almost a man. Mm -hmm. And so how did Thomas die? What are the circumstances around that? All I mean, and we're really sort of talking about this as the cliffhanger, but these were the questions that I was asking myself at the end of chapter five. The first four chapters were a slow burn for me. It was not until we got to chapter five that I bought in completely to be able to want to know more. How do you feel about how that played out? In chapter five, now that I've given you sort of my own theories. So I will say chapter five, the end 
I'm I'm kind of sold. I I'm sold in the sense of I want to find out what what is happening here. However, where we kind of differ is I haven't even begun to even possibly formulate theories of that nature yet. I think I was trying to figure out and maybe ask around as far as because there was the point where they were asking, could he could um the uncle have written this letter before he died? Right. So and maybe I am thinking of a little bit of theory uh, or something, but my thought was, are we dealing with like a especially are we dealing with this pair like this other? I go back to the very first page where there's this person looking into this other garden. Yep. And so when I read that, oh, I fully believe that he's responsible it, for those things being sent and, completely. And so my my immediate thought was, is this person was this person peering in? to the garden of the school but then as we got into the school and how everything was gray from olivia's perspective and this is what i so i don't understand is everything gray right now the color like the color scheme is it just because it's from her perspective or is that really or if we were to i don't know so once again only reviewing the first five chapters so i'm only basing this on what i've read the theme of gray and shadow is huge when we have her arrive at gallant and drive up there was a description of a woman with her hand out that was very confusing to me and once hannah opened the door and i basically realized that that woman was a statue or must be a statue and then she's like you need to come inside because of the shadows i get the impression that this setting is very much industrial england and where you have smokestacks and all that other stuff. This is what I'm creating in my head as a reader, is that this is very much industrial England. And she's gone out to this manor, so that's why we see the countryside and stuff. But once you get up close to where this manor is, because of the fact that it only one person is living there and it's only being taken care of by two people, it might be in a little bit of dilapidation. And the shades... The literal shades, not the metaphorical ones, the shadows, I should say, not shades, but the metaphorical uh, shadows of like, she shouldn't be out in the shadows versus what the description is makes me feel like it's both it, it, like there are elements. There's definitely green around, but at night or I'm trying to think I can't think of it off the top of my head. But like, you know how sometimes in sci fi movies or to sci fi television shows or magical ones, you'll you'll have this premise where you should never have a mirror because things can come through the mirror. Mm -hmm. For me, I got the sense that shadows work the same way here outside of that house. Okay. So the cliffhanger for chapter five is if Arthur didn't send the letter, who did? How did that resonate for you? And what did you think of the first five chapters overall? So that's where I... It ending on well, if he didn't do it, who did? That's where I'm. One, that's where I start to go. I think he still wrote the letter. I just think it's not. And I don't know. Maybe because I've, I'm in. I just you know I'm in the Doctor Strange multiverse of the. There, 2022 has had some multiverse movies come right. out, and so maybe that's where my head is. But I, I wonder if there's just this parallel, right? Other flipped on its head universe oh where, i definitely think that or how or like whatever it is where 
are it somehow things got crossed. How I feel is for me, even with chapter five, where I do feel like chapter five kind of really quickened the pace of things. Mm-hmm. I still think this is a slow. I still I would be intrigued to know is this still a slow? I still feel this is a good slow burn. I don't feel like the action is moving too quick. I don't feel like the development of Olivia, the character, is moving too fast. I don't feel like the plot is moving too fast. I feel like this is moving at a good, nice, slow pace that is building up to at least what I hope in my mind and my expectation as I Mm. continue to read is that it's going to build into a fantastic like third final act where everything just comes together. Okay. I can see that. Most of the books that we'll be reviewing on this podcast, I try to only read the first five chapters for the podcast so that I don't have spoilers. Now, with um, the prior two episodes, I have definitely read them, but the entirety of those books. So I have to try and keep my critique without giving away what happens. I've not read past chapter five on here, but you've already heard some of my theories. And when I'm looking at this, creatively speaking, I have a couple of different scenarios. Like for one, is the man in the shadows and the upside down, which is what I'm going to use for this just because it's easier. Did the good part of him escape from that and end up with Olivia's mom? And is the reason why he died and she was haunted is because that was part of him? Or, conversely, is this a situation in which Olivia was on one side or maybe was on the the upside-down side with the man, and she falls for the guy on the gallant side where Olivia lives and crossed over and that everything began to turn to ash after she left. Either of those two scenarios for me are possibilities that in my mind, as I wrap this up, I was like something, someone crossed over and however those met those letters were sent. The man couldn't do it the same way. Whoever crossed over. This is just my conjecture and theory. He can't go over the way that other person did, but he's still getting something out using that same method. It's just that he doesn't have enough power to do it. So hypothetically, if she had been on that side and she fell in love with the guy on the other side, if love allowed her to cross, I enjoyed this book. It was a slow burn. I am not accustomed to reading slow burns. When I pick up a book and I'm looking at a cover, I like I look for a fast-paced plot. I enjoy a first fast-paced I enjoy a fast-paced plot. I am very intrigued by this book and I can't wait to just dive into it more and see what happens, but it feels really weird because even though the length of a book can be the same, if it's moving super fast and I feel like I'm getting through it, if I'm disappointed, I felt like I got through it fast. Mm-hmm. But with a slow burn, if you're reading through it and you end up being disappointed by the outcome, then you feel it for me, it feels like a waste. And so I'm nervous about this book and reading. I like, I would give this, I would give this a solid four out of five because I think that they did a, uh, that Schwab did a really good job in crafting it and did what she needed to do to make me continue reading but I'm nervous about whether or not I'll be happy with the outcome. Yeah. I mean, but isn't that the risk of any book? 
Well, that's true. I mean, isn't that the beauty of reading sometimes? Like, but I that is the the precarious nature of slow burns sometimes. Right. Is. And that's why I don't read a lot of snow burns or slow. I can't talk. That's why I don't read a lot of slow burns. Yeah. But I mean, but what if, what if it pays off in the right? End? And right. what if it is as fantastic? And this is kind of to tie it all back for me as to why I like romance, like romance, you get the payoff at the end of the happy road, uh, whatever, right. that, whatever it's a happy ending or whatever. There's always that what if that if this slow burn really works the way you think it is, aren't you just going to be so happy and thrilled that you did stick with it? So will you keep reading and how many stars would you give it? I will keep reading. I will give this about four out of five stars. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This is a podcast that I talked with you like a year or so, a year and a half ago, sometime in 2021, um, about my desire to start it. And there were a lot of other factors going on. And so there, it didn't quite come to fruition. So I appreciate your patience in um, being willing to come and join me for an episode so much longer after we first talked about this. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to another episode another time oh definitely considering the fact that you and i both enjoy young adult now this podcast is not just a young adult podcast but that is the genre that i enjoy most and so there it will be heavily influenced that way but i do look forward to doing other non-ya book reviews fantastic enjoyed this episode or the show support us by writing a review on itunes and spotify Follow us on social media by checking out the profiles linked in every episode. And finally, join the First Five Chapters Facebook group to share your passion for books, writing, and to make topic suggestions for future episodes. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, it's up to you whether or not to read beyond the first five chapters.